0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The Voice for American Law Enforcement. I'm your host, Randy Sutton, retired police lieutenant with Las Vegas Metropolitan Police, 34 year police veteran, author of A Cop's Life and the founder of the Wounded Blue National Assistance and Support Organization for Injured and Disabled Law Enforcement Officers. On this show, we talk about all things law enforcement from a perspective of a law enforcement officer. And uh, I appreciate you taking the time to join us today. And let's get right to it. I have a guest waiting for us uh, in the waiting room who is going to, whose story is absolutely amazing. So let's bring him in. Matt Davis is a uh, veteran police officer from the La Mesa Police Department in California. Uh, We're going to be discussing his story. Uh, Matt, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, Randy. Thanks for having me. Super excited to be with you today.
0: Oh, I appreciate it, man. So, first thing, Matt, in order to introduce, this topic that we're gonna be talking about today, which is the persecution by prosecution of law enforcement officers. I'm gonna to read to you a, um, a story that came out yesterday. And uh, it's, it's, it's part and parcel of everything that we talk about and very similar to what happened with you. The headline is Buffalo cops cleared of wrongdoing in incident where protester fell to the ground. The officer's use of force was, quote, absolutely legitimate, unquote, wrote arbitrator Jeffrey Shelleck, who added that the protester was, quote, definitely not an innocent bystander, unquote. So this is out of the Buffalo News uh, in New York. Two Buffalo police officers who knocked a 75-year-old protester to the ground, causing him to suffer a head injury during a 2020 protest and drawing national criticism were cleared Friday of wrongdoing by an arbitrator. The arbitrator said he found that officers did not violate police department regulations, did not intend to injure the uh, individual Martin Gugino during the protest outside City Hall in 2020. Um, The officers testified before the arbitrator they were trying to protect themselves and denied they were trying to hurt Gugino during the protest. Now, the officer's use of force was absolutely legitimate, wrote the arbitrator. Uh, The arbitrator said the officers... Uh, testified that they were only trying to move the suspect out of the their personal space and physically keep Gugino away from their weapons. Now, this is an incident that that got national attention. These uh, there was a uh, a massive protest uh, in relation, mm-hmm. of course, to the the uh, uh, anti police um, rhetoric that was that was uh, you know being put out to the public. Gugino uh, was a, uh, an individual who was a, uh, a a man who always put himself into the protest he inserted himself into protests not this is not the first one he uh, was blocking the rapid response or the um, emergency response team uh, which was uh, uh, trained to deal with la- large crowds they were moving the crowds out of the way um, and he was uh, literally put himself in, in the um, space of the officers to try and prevent them from moving forward. All he did was move him aside. He tripped, fell down, and hurt his head. Uh, because of his age and because of the optics, Buffalo Police Department uh, and the District Attorney's Office initially charged the officers criminally, And then terminated them, and uh, they the charges were eventually dropped, uh, and now because of the arbitrator's ruling, he's they're getting their jobs back. So, um, Matt, I think that that is that is a a story just came out, and it's probably a story that you've that you've watched since uh, um, what has happened to you. So, what are your thoughts about? about what took place in Buffalo?
1: Well, I think it's a story that initially probably a lot of people across the nation saw back in 2020, because the video was something of, like it was a poor optics. I mean, it was very clear that the officers never intended to hurt him. Never, he never, never intended for this elderly man to fall to the ground. Um, but also, I think everyone's only gonna remember the fact that those officers did that and then that they were arrested afterwards. Unfortunately, most of the country It's going to be swept under the rug that they were cleared of any wrongdoing, that the charges were later dropped. Um, I think actually the Buffalo, that response, riot response team, I think they all resigned after that because they said, you know, this is wrong and this shouldn't be happening to the the police officers that that were involved. Um, But it's tragic. I mean, uh, you know, it's like you said, it's uh, persecution by prosecution and, you know, you're guilty until proven innocent. but I mean, I'm glad that these officers have had their day and had their re- had their redemption. Unfortunately, it's taken almost two years for that to happen.
0: Yeah, and two years of hell. Um, you know, you know more than most the um, the feelings of uh, of what these officers have been through. So let's talk about you, and let's talk about um, your situation. And and uh, I think that that the the public who is watching this are going to get some information that they have never had the opportunity to have before. So Matt, uh, for the uh, for the people that are that are listening and watching to this show, Matt was a La Mesa police officer. He was uh, involved in a physical very, very slight physical altercation with a suspect. This was during just after the George Floyd incident. And as a result of this uh, a persecution by prosecution the likes of which i have rarely seen has taken place so matt if you would let's talk about first of all um let's talk about your your why did you become a police officer to begin with and what led you to la mesa
1: yeah so um i'm born and raised in san diego um la mesa is a city right next to san diego so it kind of made sense for me to serve my community which i lived in that's why i wanted to just to, to go to La Mesa and I had heard great things about the department and above itself. It was a smaller department, um, which to other police officers, you know, you know, that if, if you're more of a family, it's less of a big number. Um, but for me personally, it was just something that I always wanted to do. Um, I come from a long history of military and law enforcement, um, you know, in my family and, I wanted to aspire to help others, help, you know, to make something, to do something fulfilling with my life other than just for myself. Um, so for me, it was always wanting to be a law enforcement officer, wanting to be a police officer. And for most importantly, it wanted to be a police officer in the community in which I lived. So you became a, uh, an officer uh, what year? In 2018, beginning of 2018.
0: Now, when you took the police test, it's a it's a hell of a rigorous uh, process to get hired as a cop there, is it not?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, it still is. But even back before 2020, it was incredibly difficult, especially in Southern California. Um, There was no shortage of police officers at that time. Um, I remember every place that I went to and applied, you know, the application process, it takes up to a year, six months, whatever. Um, you know, you'd be in a spot for when I went to with La Mesa, there was four or 500 people that showed up and there was two spots. So um, I was very fortunate at the time to, you know, stand out in um, in, in a manner to, to get a job and to be able to become a police officer. But it's no easy task, um, especially at that time. You know, the job was very much in demand.
0: Absolutely. And and of course, you know, with what we've been seeing over the last uh, you know, a couple of years now that the diminishment in not just, uh, not just retention of police officers, but the recruitment of police officers has seriously diminished. Um, the, uh, those that are, that are actually applying for the job. But when, when you hire, when you hired on, I mean, I want, I want the, the listenership and and the viewership to realize that it's a very, very competitive at that point, very competitive uh, uh, job to get, and you know, out of uh, five, six hundred people, Matt, you were chosen to be one of those, one of those uh, officers. So uh, you began your mm-hmm. career. Um, you were a patrol officer, and the event that changed your life and 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 changed the trajectory of your career and your life. Uh, tell us about what happened.
1: Yeah. So unfortunately for my circumstance, it happened two days after the Minneapolis George Floyd incident. Um, At that time, there was no unrest throughout the country yet. It was just breaking the news. Um, This is, you know, May 27th of 2020. So two days after that incident occurred, (laughs) um, I went to work just like a normal day. And um, I went to go help out another officer, the senior officer on the squad that I was working with had asked me to come to one of the uh, train stations that we have in the city that run throughout the County of San Diego, uh, just to do some proactive enforcement, um, which we're doing all the time, where it's a regular uh, occurrence, we're there every day. But, uh, so I said, yeah, no problem, I'll I'll come by, Um, I'll help out. And I got there, um, spoke to a few people, you know, nothing out of the ordinary, made contact with a subject who didn't have a trolley pass, he was like immediately aggressive, agitated, angry. Um, he ended up pushing me, and uh, we had like a little back and forth where I pushed him back into his seat a couple times. Um, very, very low level use of force. Um, his friends, unbeknownst to me, were well actually known to me because they were standing by and, and very agitated and screaming. That it turned out to be like a huge crowd and a scene that that was being caused, but they were recording this this situation. And, um, I arrested the subject, took him back to the station, cut him a citation. And then later that night he and his friends posted that on Instagram using the hashtag of George Floyd and police brutality. And that's the same week that everything was going viral. And, um, the news picked it up. We had protesters at our home immediately that evening uh, at my home at me and my wife's home. And, um, it just devolved into, chaos from that point on.
0: Now that evening you got a phone call, um, uh, that, uh, you were unaware that, that this was even taking place. Um, and you got a phone call from a coworker, correct?
1: Yeah. My partner at the time, he called me, um, and said, Hey, that, that uh, things on Facebook. And I, I don't have social media. I don't really follow that kind of stuff. So I was like, what are you talking about? And, um, he sent me the link and it, There was the video from that day and it had, you know, thousands and thousands of views. And then in the comments, people were posting our address and my phone number. And I don't even know how that stuff really had gotten out. That was kind of something over my head at the time. Um, But, you know, that immediately my main concern was my wife's safety, our family's safety uh, being in our home. So, yeah, it was uh, it, it happened very rapidly.
0: When you got that phone call, did you have any inkling of what that was going to, how how your life is going to change? Um, Did did the gravity of what, what that situation involved, did that hit you at that point?
1: You know, looking back and knowing what we've been through, absolutely not. I had no idea. But my heart, I can tell you, absolutely sank seeing that video. It's not you know, seeing a, you know, yourself on a video and in that, um, circumstance being framed as something that you're not as a racist or a bad police officer or whatever it may be. Um, you know, your heart sinks because it's absolutely untrue, but, you know, I had absolutely no idea what was about to come to me and my family.
0: At that point, did you have faith in the, leadership of your organization did you
1: did you believe that they would have your back yeah absolutely i had um i looked up to a lot of people there and i trusted it i trusted almost everybody there
0: and what what happened as a result um i mean let's 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 go to you know right after this happens you you're seeing this videotape you know that that it's going viral Um, what was your department's reaction right after that?
1: Well, it was, um, it, I knew it was, you know, they were, they were reacting to the public, uh, reacting and initially it wasn't, um, as big of a deal, at least, you know, inside the department, I feel like a lot of people seeing the video, anyone being a police officer, watching that video, knowing what occurred, seeing this person and how they were interacting with me. How aggressive, how dangerous that situation was, because this person was not just a normal run-of-the-mill citizen. Um, this person was had already assaulted me. They were belligerent. They were continuing to show cues that a police officer would recognize as being pre-assaultive. So I think they all knew that what I did, how I handled it, was correct. Uh, but they were reacting to you know the news was picking it up. Then there was protesters, um, and, and soon to be. A full-blown riot a couple days later
0: so before the riot had uh, any of your supervisors connected with you and told them that they were gonna that they were supportive of you or i mean what was the well, before the riot what was the reaction to from the leadership of your agency
1: you know i had um I had support no doubt i had people coming up to me telling me you know patting me on the back and saying you know it's going to be okay obviously this is something that i had never been through a young a young police officer at the time people knew that i had that people were sending out my address and my parents address and my phone number and my wife's number so i think people were really concerned about my safety and everyone was telling me it's going to be okay don't worry about it it's going to be okay and i believed that without a doubt Were any
0: of the people that told you it was going to be okay in a leadership position of the department?
1: Yeah, I had spoke to, um, my Sergeant at the time, and I believe I also spoke to a Lieutenant and a captain and they all reassured me that, you know, everything was going to be okay. Um, you know, it's going to be handled. Don't worry about it. You know, their number one concern was my family's safety at that time. So. You basically, your life
0: now became, um, uh, I mean, I, let's say in disarray because of the danger that your your family was facing.
1: Um, what, ha- what did you do about your living arrangements? So my wife and I, you know, we got out of the home pretty quickly. I felt, you know, at that point we had a, for weeks, uh, there was like a 24-hour security detail at my house of police officers and um, you know we weren't there but we soon after that next day we left after the incident because I couldn't leave my wife there alone Um, you know so we stayed with family that were nearby for four weeks five weeks until we ended up selling having to sell our house that we had just purchased as a newlywed couple because it it wasn't uh, safe you know having peace of mind in your home is your number one um, you know factor and As a police officer, yeah, I can't leave my wife home alone. That doesn't make sense. So that was my number one concern.
0: Now, you had not been relieved of duty
1: or anything like that. Were you still working? So I was um, placed on administrative leave two days after the incident occurred, which, you know, in my department in Southern California, that's pretty standard given any type of, you know, critical incident or viral incident that happens. It's, you know, if there's going to be an investigation, you know you're not you're not going to be on the street working so I was placed on administrative duty and I knew that that was coming that wasn't something I was necessarily concerned about all right so
0: then the riot happens and describe what
1: the damage that, that took place there yeah so um, that leading up to that weekend and going into that 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 weekend I think May 30th those were when the riots took place pretty much across the whole country and for the George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter and you know the social justice defunding the police, whatever you want to call it. Um, so there was a planned protest at, at my police department because you know they wanted to uh, make as much noise as possible and capitalize on all the news headlines that had picked up on my story. Um, and those protesters quickly turned into rioters. and I unfortunately had to sit at home and watch on TV as my partners and friends and people that I cared for were, Truly defending the police station from being taken over. Um, you know, there was buildings burned down, banks were burned down, businesses were looted. You know, it was it was a tragedy. It was absolutely horrible. Um, should have never happened. And you know, it was just it was horrifying to watch.
0: If you would describe the feeling, I mean, I, this is something that I. It's it's hard for me to conceive of you know, what you must have been feeling emotionally and, and, and mentally, um, why you're watching your city burn, and yet, you are uh, basically benched um, and unable to defend that city. What was going through your mind during, you know, while you were
1: watching this? Yeah, that's exactly what it was. It was I was basically benched sitting on the couch watching news crews fly overhead and getting text messages from friends inside the building and out on the, out on the street. And, you know, it was, uh, it was horrible. It was one of the worst feelings because as a police officer, you know, you are there to help, you're there to, you know, and uh, especially your partners, right? You're gonna be there to help them no matter what. And then I'm watching them get their cars taken over, uh, cars burned on fire. You know, it was uh, it was chaos. Uh, it was like a war zone. I mean, um, there was mutual aid from every city in the county that got called in, eventually leading into the National Guard getting called in. So it was um, it was one of the lowest points of my life having to watch time.
2: Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races. You toss and turn and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep, with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support, delivered in a patent pending, pill free, ultra absorption microgel formula that tastes great fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. If you're like me, you'd like life to return to some kind of normal. You're burned out on the precautions, but deep down, you still want to avoid getting sick. You've heard it talked about time and again by respected medical professionals. Use a povidone iodine antiviral nasal spray. Made in the USA, Cofix Rx reduces viral loads and minimizes the risk of you getting sick. Find a retailer near you or click our banner ad on AmericaOutLoud.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. often ask me, Malcolm, how do we fight the corruption? Robert Frost has said it best, freedom lies in being bold. Well, for six incredible years, bold is America Out Loud. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio.
3: Along with a healthy immune system, clean air is vital for optimal health. According to the EPA, we spend 90% of our time indoors, where germs are most concentrated. It's essential to clean indoor air. Genesis is the only technology that quickly, safely, and effectively kills pathogens, both in the air and on surfaces, in seconds, reducing the viral load in any environment. The powerful, well-built Genesis Fogger produces a dry, ultra-fine mist using HOCL, which occurs naturally in our own immune systems. We'll be living with airborne diseases in the future. New viruses and antibiotic-resistant superbugs are no problem for Genesis. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Visit GenesisFogger.com. America Out Loud listeners receive a fifteen percent discount with promo code Out Loud at genesisboger dot slash outloud.
0: So the the riots take place, the city burns, um, it's it's bedlam. You are on administrative leave, and and then take us through what took place after that.
1: So very quickly after that, I got um, some phone calls from the city, not from the department, but from the city. And you know they tried to offer me a resignation with a pretty big sum of money in the six figures. I, ten- I denied it, told them no way. And then the next day they called back again and then they wanted to meet with me and my wife. And they brought my wife in to try to appeal to her. And then they basically tripled the money that they were offering for me to resign with, you know, no wrongdoing, no investigation, nothing. I said, absolutely not. We're not resigning. We're not leaving. Um, I'm getting get my name cleared the news. It's all uh, my name's already been smeared on the news and local media, whatever. Uh, There needs to be an investigation. Um, We were told we were selfish. My wife was on on board with me a hundred percent. She was told she was being selfish that the city and the, the people that live there, you know, they needed us to, to resign. We were never gonna leave. So um, then out of nowhere, they hired an outside investigator. Instead of using the internal affairs in the police department, they went and paid somebody outside something like 75,000 or $100,000 to do a investigation of my incident, my use of force.
0: All right, let, let me stop you there because I, for, I, I it's really imperative that the viewers and the listeners understand what a, um, uh, what an aberration this was from, from normal procedures. So, you know, your agency, like, like, you know, every other police agency in the country has a system in place to investigate internal issues, uh, to investigate policy matters, to investigate complaints. So in your agency, in the, in, in the world, in the normal world, how would this complaint
1: have been handled? Yeah, it would have been taken. Uh, well, first of all, there was never actually a complaint filed, but the city opened up an investigation on their own, which is fine. Um, the city would, you know, the department would open an investigation. It would be handled internally by the internal affairs. Um, you know, some, some, some departments have an internal affairs bureau or you know, officers are uh, command that handle internal affairs investigations. And then, you know, there'd be an investigation, there'd be interviews that go through the whole channel, the process of um, reconstructing what occurred and interviewing me, interviewing the subject, any witnesses, and then finding out if there was any violations or, you know, if and as a matter of fact, if anything actually illegal took place and then, you know, presenting those findings.
0: But that didn't happen with you that didn't happen with you what what happened with you was the city management circumvented the police policies and procedures brought in an outside firm this is this is called you know a hired gun and yeah. then uh they're the ones that made the determination of any of any violations which is which is highly uh erratic i mean i've never i've i've never heard of this happening so what were you when they called in when you when they called in or you just you discovered that there was an outside uh, firm that was conducting the investigation what was going through your mind at that point
1: you know, I, I I could see where it was going. I could see the writing on the wall a little bit and seeing what they were going to try to do. But I knew in my heart, I was like, well, I never lied. I never did anything wrong. I never violated anyone's rights. And I especially never exceeded any use of force. So I knew in my heart that I was on the right. And I said, okay, they can do whatever they want. They can try to do whatever they want. But, you know, the truth is plain as day. And it's on camera. Everything happened on camera. So you know, let's go. I wanted to just take a little step back because
0: um, the city itself circumvented the, um, the 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 normal the normal system of investigative process before there was any investigation um, what was what was the um How did they they approach you and say, hey, uh, we want your resignation and and we just want you to basically go away and here's some money for you to go away. How did they how did they phrase that?
1: That's exactly how they phrased it. Hey, how about you and your wife take a long vacation or go, uh, you know, back to school or something like that, which I I already have a college degree. I don't need to go back to school. Um, And I was just very confused like this. This. That, that's not going to happen. You know, I told my they communicated it through my attorney, and I told them like absolutely not. You know, they can they can kick rocks.
0: So it, in so in in my world, um, that's basically called a bribe. <laughs> yeah, they they were trying to bribe you to leave, yep. and they offered you a high six figure uh, um, payment to just go away. Um, yep. you said no, that, that, uh, you weren't going to accept that. Why did you say that?
1: Well, you know, at the time, my na- like I said, my name was being smeared all through the media and, um, there was a narrative. The only narrative that was out there was uh, white officer, black subject, only narrative, that's the only headline that was out there. Nobody cared about the facts. Nobody cared that he put his hands on me. Um, and I needed the, those facts to be out there i was I, and i wasn't going to j- just walk away from this career that i wanted to spend the next and I, and I plan on spending the next you know 25 30 years doing um i needed my i have my integrity my morality i'm not going to take money and leave that to me shows that i would have done something wrong or i knew i did something wrong as if i hightail it out of town with a big bag of cash so i knew what what needed to be done in my heart um which was for there to be an investigation all right so uh, what
0: was what was your 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 chief and your administration how did they react to you being offered this this large sum of money to just go away what was what was their uh interaction with you about
1: this um so i didn't have any direct interaction but i know You know, like I said, some of the people in the city council called me selfish. And I know that the feeling was they were very, the city and the department and the command and the department were very angry that I wasn't willing to take the money, that they felt like I was um, not playing by the rules or, you know, how dare I, and that I was kind of sticking it to them. Um, But yeah, I mean, they, they were not happy at all
0: so this this changed your relationship with your administration is that correct no no doubt you know <laughs> um i we could talk about the your administrative portion of this for the rest of the day because this is this is such a to, to me this is um this is a betrayal um of of your administration that this is a cowardly uh, betrayal uh, in in my estimation but you fought it okay so now This outside firm comes
1: back with what kind of findings? So they cleared me of my use of force. And then they found me to be dishonest in the reasons for my stop. They found me to be dishonest in basically every aspect of the investigation. As a matter of fact, it was interesting. Every person, every person that they interviewed, because they give them like a credibility, whether they're credible or not, Every person, including witnesses, c- civilians, they were all considered credible witnesses, credible police officers. I was the only person that they found to be not credible in their investigation.
0: <laughs> so they, uh, now, I, this is another important um, uh, topic here for the viewership and, and the, uh, the listenership, so that you understand the, the gravity of, of their findings. So if there had just been a minor use of force violation, that minor use of force violation would have resulted in um, a written reprimand, possibly a, a light suspension. But when you, when a law enforcement officer is um, is determined to have no credibility, that's an entirely different gravity, is it not?
1: Yeah, no, it's the worst thing that you could be possibly accused of as a police officer.
0: Right. It's a career-ending career charge. So even though they, they said, yeah, you're, you, your use of force was right, now we're going to really stick it to you by, by making a determination of, of a lack of truthfulness. And that's what took place. Now, not only
1: uh, were you brought up on departmental charges, correct, but what else happened? So I was, uh, you know, terminated obviously, and then um, charged actually by the district attorney's office about seven eight months later after the incident occurred for what they claimed was falsifying a police report. So you're you're you lose your job.
0: They make a determination that you were untruthful, and then the district attorney of the city or the county of San Diego actually files criminal charges against you yeah, and for a felony for a felony charge and now you had you had hired an attorney by this point what was what was the attorney um or you know what what were your the lawyers that you had what was their
1: reaction to this they were as shocked and surprised as I was i mean their jaws were literally on the floor they they uh, when I got that phone call, my attorney, she was uh, she was basically in tears, telling me, because she had no idea that this was coming. She had no idea that, or could not fathom that they would ever do this, based on the evidence that we had and that we knew was in our favor. Um, but it became very clear to us very quickly that it was again politics.
0: So you had already filed an appeal from the. Um from the, the, the um, department charges, correct?
1: Yeah. And that was another aspect involved as well. I think that the, the, the city, the department, the, 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 the district attorney, they wanted to do all that they could to make it as hard for me as possible. There's never been one step of this entire way that they were not pushing and clawing to do whatever they could. Um, so by charging me with a felony, only made things even more increasingly difficult for me to be potentially reinstated, or to move forward in my life, um, or to regain any, any redemption from this. So
0: suddenly, your entire life is upended. Your, um, your own department administration turns on you, the city that you grew up in that you literally uh, served um as a police officer literally put your life on the line they they do everything in their power to destroy you mm-hmm. and you and your wife you you were newlyweds at the time of this um, how did this how did this affect your relationship and and the emotional um the emotional uh, issues that um you know that every police officer faces you know traumatic issues. how did this how did this um, affect you personally and and emotionally?
1: So personally, you know there's a, without a doubt that I was in the lowest point in my life ever. Um, you know could not be any more depressed or hurt or betrayed, like you said. and when you go through that level of betrayal and organizational betrayal with not just it's just not normal organizational betrayal. This is like, you know, as a police officer in in your like you're a fam you're in this family of a police department, and I look up to these people that are above me, and yeah. I trust them with my life, and to say that they threw me under the bus or they threw me away is an understatement. I mean, they since this has occurred have sought out to literally destroy my life and my livelihood, and to actually put me behind bars. So. Um, it's, it was a betrayal to the highest degree and, um, you know, was definitely testing my, in my faith, my fortitude, my every ounce of my being was being tested at all times for the past two years. Uh,
0: your wife, your wife has been with you every step of the way. And I, I, you know, um, I've met her, uh, you and I have had many conversations uh, while you've been facing this uh, this this tragic set of circumstances. How has this affected your relationship?
1: Well, I would say that our relationship is stronger now than when it was before. I don't believe that that would be the case for everyone. I think that I am extremely blessed and lucky that I have a wife that has since stood by me in every sense of the word since day one and has really been the voice for me when I could not have a voice. Um, I believe that had we not been able to have like a grassroots um, support and people like you and and all the supporters that we have online, on social media, you know, maybe my case, maybe my criminal case goes a different way. Um, you know, I've been very lucky to have a very strong woman that stands next to me.
0: I'm going to say amen to that. <laughs> but, um, so you're, you, you, you get, you get charged criminally. You're facing felony charges. Um, now this, this enters a whole new stage in your life. Um, and then not only do you face criminal charges, you actually go to trial. Explain mm-hmm. how that
1: took place and, and what that felt like. Yeah. So. In 2021, we were seeking out very much like we just wanted to, you know, get as much as we could in front of the district attorney. We, we thought that maybe they didn't have all the evidence or they didn't have, um, you know, all the statements from all the witnesses and everything that we had done and gone through. And the other officers that had, you know, corroborated everything that I said and they did. They had everything. Um, so it was very clear from day one that it was all about politics. There was a, there's a re-election campaign coming up. Um and we found very quickly that, you know, it was going to get dragged to, to trial. There was not a judge in in this county or I don't know if in this whole country that would have thrown the case out um, just because they didn't want to stand in front of that train. Um, so my wife made the jump. She said, we need to get loud. We need to get online. We need to change the narrative. You know, she created our social media account at clear officer Degas on Instagram. And we had this huge following that grew over a year. Um, And we had such great support from my friends and family. So we went to trial. It was the most stressful two weeks of my life. (laughs) And even though we knew, you know, we were in the driver's seat, we went into trial every day. And my attorneys just said, we just need to take it one step at a time. And every single day that we went into trial, we won every single day, every single witness that they tried to put up every single person that they tried to, you know, lie and, and do whatever they wanted to do. Put on a show is what it was. Um, you know, thankfully, the jury stood strong and saw through all the BS that was going on. And, uh, you know, acquitted me of any wrongdoing.
0: So you 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 go through this for um, a couple of years, uh, from the beginning of this, this uh, debacle, when, when you had the, uh, the altercation with uh, the suspect to the day that you were found not guilty. What, what kind of time period was that? Oh, um, man, like 18 months or something like that. 18 months of absolute living hell. When in fact you did absolutely nothing untoward and, Mm -hmm. um, what was? Tell me. I mean, can you describe the feeling when, when you're you're in that courtroom? Literally, your entire life is laid out before before you, and you're, the decision that this jury makes is going to um, is either going to destroy your life or free you. Tell me what that
1: felt like inside. So there was a point in the trial. Obviously, you know, I was like I said, it was couldn't have been more stressful. But then, you know, I was I had the ch- the, the chance to testify, and I was obviously going to be the last person to testify in the case, and I knew I had to. I knew I couldn't move forward without like just in my heart, I knew I needed to uh, for my own well being. And I remember after testifying for several hours. Um, going home that night and just feeling relief and knowing we've done all we can. The truth is out there. I don't care what happens. Like, I know it's in my heart. Everyone here saw it. Everyone in the tr- in the courtroom saw it and has heard it. But hearing that not guilty verdict was one of the most emotional, um, overwhelming experiences that I've ever been a part of. Um, not only for me, but for everyone behind me that was in the courtroom watching as I could only hear the, you know, the tears and the, the joy and the gasping, everyone was just so happy. Um, for after 18 months, we've been fighting this tooth and nail. And we finally, we we were victorious as we knew it. Well, I I'll
0: bet you that some of the gasps you heard were from the people, uh, that, uh, were your city's leadership which realized that was uh oh
1: <laughs> yeah i mean there was a, i will say probably they, they didn't they didn't show their face in the courtroom um you know in the courtroom it was we we filled the courtroom with just my my people friends family supporters every single day it was great to have you know we had 50 60 people there every single day so it was amazing um and there wasn't a, a dry eye in the courtroom that day
0: Did you did you maintain the support of your uh, your fellow police officers that you served with on the street?
1: Yeah, of course, all the uh, uh, you know, I still and still to this day um, have great friends in the police department and people that, you know, want me to be victorious, to be reinstated, to succeed, um, you know, and want the best for me. So, you know, those people, they know the truth and just like a lot of other people. Um, they know what happened and saw what my family and I have been through for the past two years. Um, so yeah, I've been very great, grateful to have good friends, uh, stand by me.
0: Did you ever receive any, uh, any, um, communications from your chief or the upper level administration saying, Hey, we're glad this really, we're glad you got cleared. Did anybody contact you from the department?
1: No, no, nobody, uh. Not, not from the command staff. No one's reached out. No. Okay, I, I'm not going to. I'm not going
0: to claim that I actually thought that that might have taken place. I just want. <laughs> I just want the those who are seeing this show and those who are listening to it to understand that what the the cowardly leadership of an agency like this that 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 allow instead of standing up for you, literally just abandon you. And I, I mean, for me, I could never go back to work for a place like that. I, I, it just, I would, I would be so bitter that it just couldn't, it just could never ever take place. But, um, so, all right. So you're victorious, you're not guilty, but that doesn't mean that the story ends there now, does it? Nope. Of course not. (laughs) Of course not. So now you Um. have, now you have to fight to get your job back and you're in the middle of that fight right now. Yeah, we are.
1: We're, so we knew that that was gonna be the next step after this. We knew just to get over this hurdle of the criminal case, then it was for the reinstatement. And uh, that's what we're in the middle of right now. We just went to court last week again, and um, you know, we're waiting for a judge to make a determination based on you know all the evidence that we've presented that you know, I was never dishonest. I never violated anyone's rights, that I never should have been terminated in the first place. And, you know, at this point, my family and I, we just want to move on. Um, we're ready to move forward in our lives and we need this last victory before we can. Um, so we're not going to be giving up anytime soon.
0: No, I, th- I don't think the word giving up is really in your vocabulary. And uh, of course, you know, you have the support of so many that that um, are standing with you while you were you know um, going through this. Now there's also, but you know there's still there's still going to be legal issues out there. So you were, I mean the financial uh, toll that it took on you is immense. That uh, now did you you had you had uh, support from your police uh, union. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I did. I had some support through my union. Um, obviously. Some of my attorney's fees were covered by my union, you know, because this became such a large political show um, and circus. Me, and my wife, and my family—we were forced. We needed more legal support. So to date, my wife and I—we've paid over one hundred and twenty thousand dollars out of pocket um, in legal fees. Well, I—it's—it's. It's, um...
0: It's something that I, I hope that you're getting some support from, uh, you know, others, uh, you know, when it comes down to that. But there, there is also, um, litigation once this is completely over where you might be able to, um, to sue for wrongful termination and a bunch of other, a bunch of other, um, legal issues that can come up, um, I would, you know, I'm not going to ask you what your plans are with that, but, but, of talking about a, a, a people that are so well deserving of of compensation for the, for that wrongdoing, um, you know, I can't think of a of of someone who's more deserving of it than you. And in my personal feelings, I hope you sue the hell and if every <laughs> individual you possibly can. And you bring to the public's attention the torture that they, that they levied upon you um, because you simply wouldn't play ball. You didn't take the bribe that they offered you to just simply go away because you stood on, 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 on your, your own morality. You knew that you didn't do anything wrong. You didn't step away. You didn't accept their bribe. And then you defeated them in court. You're you're a hero, Matt. I, I want I want the, the everybody that's watching this to know that. And so is your wife. Um, I saw how she stood with you, stood by you. Was your was your voice when you didn't have a voice? Yeah. And, and and what what's so important here for for the for the public to know is that what happened to you is happening across America. You're not the first. You're certainly not going to be the last. Same as when we started this show, we talked about these Buffalo officers. And uh, this is happening across America. Uh, District attorneys across America are taking an activist approach. They don't want to charge bad guys, but they sure as hell want to charge the police whenever they possibly can. And uh, this is a true injustice. So, um, Matt, um, I want to congratulate you on on your on your on your win because to be to be acquitted on this is is a major win. I know that 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 yeah. the, the challenges are still out there for you, um, and of course, uh, I support you. Your brothers and sisters that have been following this case um, have tremendous uh, love and support for you as well, and we wish you nothing. Uh, but the best. And, and um, you know, is, is there if there's anything that you'd like to say to the to the public that, uh, you know, you'd like to bring to their attention? Um, you have the floor.
1: Yeah, thanks, Randy. I mean, I think you made a great point. I think that if I've had any takeaway from this, it just has this whole event that's happened to me is that this is happening across the country. Um, and mine was public. Mine was very public but you know, a lot of these events are going on behind closed doors to police families across the country. Um, and it's really opened my eyes as to the need for, um, this in law enforcement to help these families, to help these police officers that don't have the resources that don't have the ability that don't have the voice that I was given. And, um, Really, I think that if everyone needs to take anything away, they need to support their police officers, support their local police departments and really make their voices be heard at the uh, at the ballot box in November.
0: That's exactly right. So, uh, Matt, thank you for taking the time to join me here on The Voice for American Law Enforcement. It's Matt Dages, Uh and he uh, he is continuing the fight. Matt, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Randy. So, um this is a perfect segue uh, to talk about, you Now you heard Matt's story. Instantly, as soon as the, uh, uh, the social media hit, uh, they, the, uh, his address was put out and, and literally he had to move from his house. So you know what? This is a great time to talk about officerprivacy.com. Um, there's a, a service out there. That, that helps law enforcement officers to get their information taken off the internet so that they cannot be discovered like, like Matt was. And officerprivacy.com is, is a company that it was started by a, a police officer who was um, very effective in creating uh, a methodology for removing the ability for others to find you on the internet. And I had no idea how easy it is until he showed me Pete James started the company he showed me how easy it is to to be found and this is a perfect example within within minutes apparently of the social media frenzy that um, uh, that came out as a result of of uh, Matt's uh, videotaped interaction with a the suspect um, they were protesting outside of his house they, they forced him to move he endangered his family don't be don't be Fooled that, that they that this can't happen to you. So go to officerprivacy.com and check out what they have. It's not it's not expensive, and it it could it could save um, a lot of a lot of heartache for you. Officerprivacy.com. You know this part in the show we uh, um, is called the end of watch, and unfortunately, I have way too many names to read. Police is uh, this is where we we honor those men and women who have. Uh, given their lives in the line of duty in the last week or so. Police Officer Trey Marshall Sutton, Henrico Kenny Police Department in Virginia, was killed in a three-vehicle crash when a truck drove into the intersection at 8.30 p.m. He and his field training officer were transporting a prisoner when their vehicle was struck. Um, officer Sutton, his field training officer, and the prisoner were all transported in life-threatening conditions. Officer Sutton succumbed to his injury shortly after midnight. Police Officer Trey Marshall Sutton, Henrico County, Police, Virginia, end of watch Thursday, March thirty-first, twenty twenty-two. Police Officer Dominic Francis, Bluffton Police Department, Ohio. Police Officer Dominic Francis was struck and killed by a vehicle while deploying spike strips near mile marker one forty-two at two thirty a.m. Troopers were had uh, started pursuing the vehicle. The vehicle fled in the I seventy-five, exceeding speeds of one hundred thirty miles per hour striking officer francis police officer dominic francis bluffton police department ohio end of watch thursday march 31st 2022. deputy sheriff uh, darren almadarez harris county sheriff's office texas deputy sheriff darren almadarez was shot and killed while off duty when he interrupted three men attempting to steal a catalytic converter at eight forty p.m he and his wife were returning their car in a grocery store parking lot when he observed the three men attempting to steal the catalytic converter. He instructed his wife to run from the scene. A struggle ensued after one of the men produced a handgun during the struggle. Deputy Almendarez pulled out his off-duty weapon. Shots were exchanged in which he and two of the three suspects were wounded. He died later in the hospital. Deputy Sheriff Darren Almendarez, Harris County Sheriff's Office, Texas. End of Watch Thursday, March 31st. 2022 Lieutenant William Delibo, Lebanon police department in Pennsylvania. Lieutenant William Lebo was shot and killed as he and other officers responded to a domestic related burglary, 1100 block of forest street, 3 PM. The owners of the house, had returned home to discover an emotionally disturbed relative had broken in. The man was still inside when officers arrived and uh, officer, uh, Lieutenant Lebo was shot along with two other officers. He died later. Lieutenant William D. Lebo, Lebanon Police Department, Pennsylvania, end of watch Thursday, March 31st, 2022. Investigator Donald Richard Crooms, Houston County District Attorney's Office in Georgia, was killed in a vehicle crash on Moody Road at about 1230 PM. An oncoming vehicle across the center line struck investigator Crooms Department head on. Collision caused investigator Crooms vehicle to strike a third vehicle. He was killed in the crash. Investigator Donald Richard Crooms, Houston County District Attorney's Office, Georgia, end of watch Wednesday, March 30th, 2022. Deputy Constable Jennifer Chavez, Harris County Constable's Office, Texas. Deputy Constable Jennifer Chavez was killed when her patrol car was struck by a drunk driver on Foundron Road. Other drivers had called 911 to report that the driver of a Ford F-150 was possibly drunk and had fled the scene of another crash the uh, vehicle struck the back of her SUV causing it to burst into flames killing her Deputy Constable Jennifer Chavez Harris County Constables Office Precinct 7 Texas end of watch Saturday April 2nd 2022 and Sergeant Christopher Mc- Michael Vaughn Cedar Bluffs Police Department Alabama suffered a fatal medical condition after assisting a vehicle pursuit that resulted in a vehicle crash he was uh, uh still on patrol when he experienced a medical complication and was pronounced dead. Sergeant Christopher Michael Vaughn, Cedar Bluff Police Department, Alabama, end of watch Friday, April 1st, 2022. Each of these officers gave their lives in the line of duty. So as we come to a close for this show, I ask you to go to the woundedblue.org. That's thewoundedblue.org, our organization that helps injured and disabled officers across the nation. If you want to find me, you can find me on Facebook at the voice of american law enforcement and if you want to contact me to uh, uh talk about this show or to talk about how you may help the american law enforcement community contact me at randy at the thanks for joining me here on the voice for american law enforcement i'm randy sutton